Hello and welcome to Essential Work, exploring the past, present, and future of jobs. This podcast uh, brought to you by the Battle of Homestead Foundation. This is our premiere episode, and we're really proud to be bringing to you this program, offering perspectives and stories related to the past and looking to the future, as well as the present of work in our society. So and with me here today is John Hare, the current president of the Battle of Homestead Foundation. John, thanks so much for uh, being on the podcast for this uh, inaugural episode. Hey, Nathan. So pleased to be here. I'm really excited about this podcast. And let me tell our listeners a little bit about the Battle of Homestead Foundation. Our origins go back to the 1980s when the steel mills were closing in Pittsburgh. At the time, a number of folks were struck by the fact that how much of our history and how much of our culture and really how much of our lives were conditioned by our manufacturing history here and the steel industry. Sure, sure. And I think it's safe to say that to one degree or another, this crossed through the Rust Belt in particular in this country, but affected communities all over the country one way or another. Absolutely. It so happened that among these activists were people that were very much aware that 1992 was the centennial of the famous Battle of Homestead, which happened in 1892. The Battle of Homestead was an inspiration to understand that the average working people's story is often not told. This small band of people that worked on the uh, centennial of 1992 continued with their activities doing education and cultural work. And ultimately in uh, 1997, the Battle of Homestead was incorporated and we maintained a variety of activities up through the present. Our mission is that Inspired by the dramatic labor conflict of the 1892 Battle of Homestead, we promote a people's history, empower today's workforce, and build strategies for the future of work. That's our mission. And we want to look back, we want to look at today, and we want to look to the future. And we talk about the dignity of work, Labor's rich heritage and community engagement through programs and partnerships. And of course, we stand behind human rights and encourage a robust democracy. That's how we define ourselves. And that's why I'm so excited about this podcast, because our mission will be understood better and we can engage more people in these discussions which really have to do with all of our future. Absolutely. And I think, you know, that inspiration that the organization itself draws from 1892, you know, inspires this podcast as well. But just as the organization is striving to look to the history of the workers, this podcast will do the same. And you also had mentioned in the mission of the organization about engagement, I, I think we should mention that we are in a particularly let's say, interesting time for community engagement right now, wouldn't we no say? No question. Um, during this time of the coronavirus and COVID-19 shutdowns, we are experiencing an unprecedented social situation. And particularly as it affects workers in their communities and essential workers, old questions about how can we have the best health and safety in our workforce are 
really a matter of life and death now for many of the essential workers. Those are themes that we very much want to talk about in this podcast. How important is the health, our public health? It occurs every day in terms of air pollution and water pollution. And now it, it, it occurs with the coronavirus. So this is indeed a, a time where it's important to reflect in, on our experiences and historical experiences that are connected with it and what we can learn from them. Absolutely. And and I should mention three things is that not only this period of time with this pandemic has, has required the Battle of Homestead Foundation to seek new ways of engaging the public and has been doing so with uh, monthly events. The Pump House, a historic uh, landmark right along the Monongahela River here in Pittsburgh, is the site of, in the past, of so many events hosted by the Battle of Homestead Foundation, wonderful speakers and films and discussions. Those have moved to monthly online events, which uh, we're going to talk about and preview here on this program. And we encourage you to check out the website for the Battle of Homestead uh, Foundation and check out those events. And, and we'll be talking about them here. Another thing you had mentioned, John, was talking about the challenges to workers for health and safety in this time of the pandemic. Charlie McCullister and Rosemary Trump will be two ongoing uh, commentators here on this uh, podcast. We'll be talking about that in our second episode coming up here, those very challenging issues right now. And the third thing you had touched on as well was the issue of things like air quality and, and our environment. And uh, we should mention another host here on the program, Patty DeMarco. All those issues are near and dear to her and near and dear to um, what she is bringing uh, to this uh, podcast and has brought to radio in the past as well. We're going to hear from her in just a moment uh, with Pathways to a New Economy, uh, her segment looking at labor, environment, and health. She's got an interview with Amanda Woodrum. Um, but I would like to take a moment here before I let you go, John, to talk about Patty, who is also uh, a member of the board of the Battle Homestead Foundation. And could you talk a moment about what she brings to the table in terms of this podcast, in terms of the organization? Patty's tremendous. Born right here in Pittsburgh, went to University of Pittsburgh, got her doctorate in biology. She has spent her 30-year career in energy and environmental policy in both the public and private sector. She's had positions such as Commissioner of the Regulatory Commission of Alaska, the demand side manager for the Connecticut Municipal Electric Cooperative, was director of the Rachel Carson Institute at Chatham University. And she's also an author in her recent book entitled Pathways to Our Sustainable Future, A Global Perspective from Pittsburgh, explores positive pathways towards the sustainability that we must have to avoid climate disaster. I know of no better person to speak in plain language with good local examples on the positive side of what we can all do to make sure that climate change will not destroy us. And Patty's great. Absolutely. And um, uh, we're going to have her in just a moment. Just to make a note, you can check out more about her at her website, patriciademarco.com. 
that book, Pathways to a Sustainable Future. Pick it up right there. I've, I have a copy myself sitting not far away from me right here. Lastly, John, we should encourage folks to head out to the Battle of Homestead Foundation website as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Um, you can get there, battleofhomestead.org, and uh, go there, and there you'll find a lot of our activities, our videos from past activities and what's going on in the future. And feel free to sign on, uh, receive our free information and updates and uh, tune into our podcast because this is the first of many to come. And I, I, I should mention that uh, you can find links to both Patty's website and the Better Homestead Foundation in the episode description. So you can uh, check that out. And, uh, and while you're there too, if you like what you hear today, if you like what you're seeing with the programming with the Battle of Homestown Foundation, think about uh, a little donation while you're out there on the website. So, um, John, any final thoughts here before we turn it over to Patty? Uh, no, and good luck. Uh, remember what we need to talk about, where the job's coming from, and how can we make those jobs meaningful for family support, for real benefits, and for our economy. Nathan, thanks so much and happy to be with you here. Well, thank you, John. Thanks thanks for joining us here today for our uh, premiere episode. And we uh, will now go to interview with uh, Patty DeMarco with Amanda Woodrum talking about the new initiative of Reimagined Abolition. Welcome, I'm Patty DeMarco, your host for Pathways to a New Economy. Today, we're talking about an exciting initiative across four states, Kentucky, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia, working together to reimagine Appalachia. And I'm delighted to have with me today my guest, Amanda Woodrum. She is the Senior Researcher with Policy Matters Ohio and one of the leaders of the project to discuss the Reimagine Appalachia Blueprint, a new deal that works for us. Welcome, Amanda. Hi, Patty. So glad to have you with us and to have a chance to talk about this wonderful project that's been going on now for, what, about two years, right? Yeah, at the least. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about how the Reimagine Initiative started. How did we get, how did this whole thing come together? Well, a bunch of us uh, got together in a room and we were talking about how national climate change legislation has been on the table for some time and it's likely to move forward whether it's one year from now or five years from now but Appalachia is not really part of that conversation and we need to be and over the last year or so those conversations have really ramped up in particular with the context of the need for economic stimulus in reaction to the downfall in the economy related to COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, we are going to need probably a series of economic stimulus packages. And it, you know, depending on what happens in November, that next major stimulus package, the one that actually 
tries to jumpstart the economy may come in the form of clean energy or national climate change related investments and Appalachia if we're not at the table if we're not prepared to participate in that conversation will be on the menu Absolutely. Um, so that's our goal to get to get ready and participate yeah and really the the concept of building back not to the old normal, but to a new way that would be better, that incorporates some of the values that we've had in Appalachia that are important to people here. I've been very excited about the partnership with four states working together. There have been a number of reimagined initiatives within Pennsylvania over the last couple of years, but to go across four states is really exciting. Could you tell us how the four states came to work together and what's the catalyst behind this? Well, Policy Matters Ohio, which is where I'm from, is a progressive think tank, typically focused on Ohio policy to promote the needs of working families in our state. But we have sister organizations, and we have one in Pennsylvania called Keystone Research Center. We have one in Kentucky and West Virginia, part of a nationwide network. But we are working closely with our sister partners in those other three states. And we have joined together with a number of other community groups, like the one you mentioned, Reimagine Beaver County, which has been a real stimulus for what we're trying to do. But they've actually, their model for reimagining their own community is starting to spread like wildfire. Yes, we're just, we're just taking it to another level. Yeah, we've had a lot of listening sessions and people contributing ideas from the bottom up. And I've been very excited to participate in this with you. And I think at this point, we have a blueprint. And there are really three main elements of the blueprint, how we're approaching this new deal for us in Appalachia. Would you explain a little bit about the three major shaping concepts of the Reimagine Appalachia? So let's back up a second. And I just, I think you sort of alluded to this earlier, but our region has relied heavily on extractive industries in the past. And you know, we are abundant in natural resources, whether it's coal or natural gas, or even our rich forests and, and wetlands, but in theory, we should be the richest region in the nation because of our abundance in resources, but we're not. We're the poorest because we have largely been exploited by absentee mm -hmm. corporations. Exactly. And mm -hmm. we believe that if there is any major package related to, to climate change investments, that Appalachia should get a disproportionate share of those resources. Yeah. We deserve them and we need them so that we can build wealth locally and have a more sustainable economy over the long run. So our approach to this work is to call for major federal investments because we can't transform our economy without it in Appalachia. 
but those investments need to come with strings attached. Mm -hmm. That means we want that money spent in a way that maximizes union jobs, that prioritize coal workers and oil and gas workers for opportunities from the jobs created from these federal funds, but that we're also building pathways for women and people of color so that our future workforce is much more diverse in nature going forward. Mm -hmm. And it's really important to understand that our approach is not about retraining and relocating workers for jobs they don't want in places that they don't want to go. That's right. We need our skilled workforce to help us build the future that we want to live in. Yeah, that's a really important concept because so many of these kinds of reinvestment or retraining things don't really look at what the assets are in the communities that are already here. And as you point out, we have many, many strengths, including the innovation and the resilience and the independence of the Appalachian people and the value that they place in the land and in their communities. So the concept of building a 21st century sustainable Appalachia is really exciting as a framing concept for going forward. And there are a number of elements of that 21st century about Appalachia. And uh, what are some of the ones that excite you the most about our way forward? Well, first, we have to start by repairing the damage done over the last century. Yeah. And that means remediating brownfields, like coal ash ponds on shuttered coal plants. We can put a lot of people to work doing that, as well as reclaiming our abandoned mines, repairing leaky gas pipes throughout the region, repairing dams to, to better brace for the severe storms and flooding we're seeing from climate change already. Once we repair the damage from the past century, we need to modernize our electric grid. If you look at the grid, you'll see big brown poles and black mm -hmm. wires. It's outdated. It hasn't been upgraded since World War II. So it's time to put some money and bring it into the 21st century. And that includes expanding broadband throughout the region yeah. as part of that. You can't have a smart grid without broadband, but you can't have a 21st century economy either uh, without broadband and huge swaths of Appalachia do not have access to the internet. And we're seeing why that is so important more now than ever during mm -hmm. COVID. That's really important. So Amanda, I've been really looking at some of the things that are coming out of the proposals for rebuilding the 21st century in the transition way. And one of them is the Civilian Conservation Corps. And I know that's also in some of the federal proposals for how we go forward to really redo our approach to um, restoring the land and restoring the people. Do you want to comment a little bit about that and how that would work? Sure. I think in the context of uh, climate change legislation, it's important mm -hmm. to understand that we don't have to get rid of every single emission in order to do our part in achieve uh, carbon neutrality. We can do it 
simply by using our energy resources more wisely. But we can also absorb carbon. Trees absorb carbon. Yep. So if we do the work of reforesting the region, restoring wetlands, and promoting regenerative agricultural practices, mm -hmm. then we can actually pull a significant amount of carbon out of the air to help balance things out. Yeah, that's a very exciting way and also engages a lot of people and the concept of putting people back on the land in a productive way is a really high value in the Appalachia region. I know when we've had listening sessions, people wanting to practice sustainable agriculture, grow hemp to make things has been a really high priority for most of the groups that I've been in across Pennsylvania. So that's been pretty exciting. And one of the other aspects of this that I was really interested in is the whole concept of rebuilding the middle class. And I think this Reimagine Appalachia really has had a focus on that whole concept. And how, how do you think we can go about making that happen more effectively? Really important question. And as we started talking about this whole project, we started with the understanding that Appalachia is one of the poorest regions in the nation. When you look at our poverty rates, unemployment, and our income levels, many of our communities are in the bottom 10% of the nation. And even if we move towards a, a 21st century economy where there's a lot more uh, local wealth that stays in the region, it is still very likely that the bulk of our jobs will be in traditional low-wage sectors like retail and food service, waitressing. Um, mm -hmm. And so we need to be thinking about how, how, what do we do about that? And our platform proposes a few solutions related to that as well. And starts with increasing the federal minimum wage but we also need to restore and promote union rights for all workers. Yeah, that's really important because you don't get what you deserve, you get what you negotiate, right? And uh, there've been so many initiatives to kind of squelch union organizing or any kind of organizing. And I think that trend has followed the decline or the stagnation of wage increases across the whole country. The top. The top 1% have had an increase of wealth in something like 247% since 1980. The middle 60% has only had an increase of 45% across that whole period of time of almost 50 years. This is not an accident. These are deliberate policies that we have to re redress and, and turn around. And I think it's really exciting that we've put a focus on union jobs as a way forward. And historically, you know, the the moment in time where inequality was lessened was following yeah. the original New Deal. Yeah. And I think if we, you know, work at it, and we can create a new New Deal. Yeah. One that works for us. 
Absolutely. And I think the concept of getting people to work together and see the value of investing in our own communities rather than giving money to multinational corporations and hoping that it trickles down. I think that's a really major concept that needs a bigger voice. So one of the things that is really exciting about Reimagine Appalachia so far is that we've had, what, almost 100 people endorse this blueprint and begin participating in a way forward. So how can people join this effort? What would you like people to know about engaging with Reimagine Appalachia on next steps basis? Sure. Check out our webpage. Right. It's reimagineappalachia.org. And don't miss the video that pops up when you get there. Which makes you cry. It's a two handkerchief video. Absolutely. (laughs) Very powerful. It is. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think we've been getting good support from many of the mayors in our communities. I know my town is going to be voting on it next week. And we have a lot of people getting excited about feeling empowered. And I really feel that one of the things that has been missing from the public policy initiatives on climate so far has been taking advice from the people most affected and finding out what they see as priorities. Yeah, there. I mean, we people in this region are rightfully skeptical of national climate change legislation uh, mm-hmm. because it's been driven by people on the east and west coast Mm -hmm. so that's why we all need to get together and talk about this and figure out what we need and should demand from it Um, because as we started by saying appalachia needs to be at the table or it'll be on the menu yeah that's about right (laughs) i think when you look at the potential for reimagining manufacturing and taking advantage of the skill base that we already have here and then putting it to things that are in the future, rebuilding the electric grid, certainly making things like wind turbines, solar arrays and electric vehicles is certainly within the skill set that we already have. If you go into things like geothermal heating systems, That's all about pipes. That's all about drilling. That's all about making things go under the ground without caving everything in. And who better to do that than the people who've been engaged with these kinds of activities and then unionizing them so that they're protected with benefits and better wages. I think it's a myth that everybody in the oil and gas field has good union jobs because they don't. A lot of them are not unionized and you know, really suffer from high-handed practices by people who don't live here. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really important to demonstrate we're not talking about magic jobs, right? Right. We're talking about, for instance, upgrading the grid involves, Mm -hmm. well, first of all, we need to put more of it underground. Right. And how do you do that? You put in pipes, you lay pipe where the electric wires and while you're at it let's put fiber optic cable in there too i mean that's that's not a magic job that's just a job yep and it pays well it does and i think also taking some of the newer concepts like incorporating anaerobic digestion for waste um, management and then using that for making fuel cells 
These are things that require the manufacture of digesters and piping and production systems that are all job skills that we have. And we have a lot of them. We just need to put people into purposes that are going forward instead of backwards. So we need, we need a lot of help laying rail. Yeah. We would like to rebuild our former shuttered coal plants into eco-industrial parks so we can make stuff in the region. And we actually think that Appalachia should be on the forefront of the next generation of plastics, which is plastic alternatives. Yes. Yeah, people are very interested in growing things that can be into materials. Hemp farming is very, very popular. I know in the Beaver, Reimagined Beaver, that was one of the most widely supported initiatives that people were talking about is we have farmland and doing farming with practices that capture more carbon and also restore the fertility of the land after years and years of exploitation has been a great priority that many people have focused on here and which I think is very exciting going forward. So Amanda, I want to thank you really for leadership in this effort. What are the next things coming up that we might need to know about? Oh, we're going to be busy over the next several months. Next week, we'll be briefing a number of congressional and state and local elected officials, as well Mm -hmm. as candidates for office. Make sure they're on the same page as us and are aware of, of what we're up to. They are potential messengers. Then after that, we're working on a job an economic impact analysis to better understand what kinds of and how many jobs that our uh, policy platform for federal investments will create. Well, I think this is an exciting initiative and the concept of getting people to think about what you can do if we invest in our own communities and keep our wealth in our own towns. That's a really important and innovative way forward. And I really applaud your efforts and I look forward to being part of it. I hope people go to reimagineappalachia.org as often as possible to keep track of what's going on here and participate in any way they can. Yeah, I'll just say one last thought. The bottom line is we're creating a vision where everyone has a place. Everyone. Whether you're a co-worker or a farmer, whether you're black, white, brown, or indigenous, there's a place for you in the world that we want to live in. Wonderful. And I think giving voices to people who are not usually in the lobby in Congress is absolutely critical because these are the people who count. And we've held up this country from Appalachia for decades and decades. And it's time that the country holds us up back and gives us a chance to rebuild better. That's right. Excellent. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, This is Patty DeMarco for Pathways to a New Economy. Uh, Until next time, bye-bye for now. Okay, we're back here now with Essential Work, exploring the past, present, and future of jobs. This podcast brought to you by the Battle of Homestead Foundation. This is Nathan Ruggles here with you, and right here with me is... Larry McCullough. So Larry's joined us here to close out this inaugural episode of our podcast here. We were just listening there to Patty DeMarco 
with her a discussion of Reimagine Appalachia, this idea of a, a new new deal that works for all of us. Amanda Woodrum was, was the guest there. We're going to have more Patty for you every month here on the podcast with excellent guests just like Amanda and with a lot of focus here coming up in the near future on that whole Reimagine Appalachia initiative and, and a lot of the themes and ideas uh, surrounding that. But Larry, I want to introduce you to our listeners here on the podcast. Larry, what, what is, you do work for the Battle Homestead Foundation. What is your official title? Do you have an official title? <laughs> well, um, I uh, basically, I work with the communications, just sending out news releases, doing things on Facebook, really just trying to get the word out about all the great programs the organization's doing. Absolutely. And, you know, I can say Larry's been really spearheading the, that effort with where the Battle Homestead Foundation has moved all of its events, which it traditionally has every year, to online because we are, depending on when you're listening to this, uh, maybe we're out of the pandemic, but currently we're in the middle of a pandemic. And uh, so all these events have gone online and it's been really an interesting transition. And Larry, you certainly have been involved with doing all kinds of things to make that happen. Well, for instance, on our uh program about how we took the vote the other night, August 18th, we had folks tuning in from California. We are literally getting people from around the world to tune into the message of what Battle of Homestead uh, Foundation is, is all about. So it's really, it's making better tasting lemons out of really sour lemonade. You know, that that's a really great Great way to put it. And it's been really impressive what everyone's been doing with these events. We've had some great individuals coming in to present on these Zoom events with the Battle Homestead Foundation. There'll be more of those coming up, and we're going to talk about one of those in, in just a moment. Before we get to that, what Larry's doing for the podcast here is an important aspect of what we're doing here is about music. So, Larry, do you want to talk about the vision that we've built for how music works into what we're doing here with the podcast? Well, music has always been a part of human activity and human history, and it's quite often documented actual history as it's happened, obviously always from a subjective point of view. For centuries now, people have been using music and song as a medium to proclaim the need for social change, to educate, inform, organize, and express their circumstances through an art form that almost everyone can understand, disseminate. America in particular, has a very rich and diverse tradition of songs about work. And in podcasts to come, we'll be hearing examples of them. And they'll be coming from really rooted all over the world. But when they get to America, talking about American work uh, and American work history, they're, they're really pretty unique. Some, some you will be familiar with. I'm sure listeners will say, oh, I remember that. Uh, sure, sure. And then others will be, I think, pretty, pretty novel. And the thing is, people are making them up all the time. This is a performance uh, and composition tradition that just just really never ends. And, and we're fortunate to have this wonderful music tradition at our disposal to that the comments on and thematically connects to a lot of things we're talking about here in the podcast. Yep. Yeah, for sure. So each of our episodes, we are going to be ending the episode with a song selection that, that Larry has chosen for us. And we're, we're going to get to this episode's song here, this week's song here in just a moment. First of all, if you have any comments about this episode or any of the future episodes or 
or once we have past episodes, <laughs> those as well, you can email us or you can give us a call. Leave us a message of uh, 412-326-9435. It's 412-326-9435. Um, we'll have that number and that email in the episode description. You can find it there as well. Also, you can head out to the website to learn more about the Battle of Homestead Foundation, which is the organization that is bringing this to you, uh, their website, battleofhomestead.org. And you you can find out more about the podcast there. You can find out more about the organization. You can also find out more about future events that they're holding. We were just talking about some of the ones we've had recently. And Larry, we have another one coming up here in September. Yes, Thursday, September 17th. At 7.30 p.m., there will be a free online Zoom panel. The topic is protecting ourselves from the plastics invasion. Basically, it talks about plastic pollution and the serious threat that it is to animal, natural, and and human life. And the speakers are going to be members from the Allegheny County chapter of the National Conservation Organization, the Isaac Walton League. We're going to have uh, Dr. DeMarco, Mike Stout, and uh, Dee Kachurka. And again, people will be able to listen and discuss. But I think I, th- I think everyone pretty much knows plastics pollution is a problem. This uh, panel is going to focus on what we could do to diminish that problem in our lives, offset it even, and some real action items for making change. So September 17th on the Battle of Homestead Zoom channel. So yes, we have that event coming up here. In addition, another feature that we'd like to mention that you should uh, check out from the Battle of Homestead Foundation is Charlie's Monday Markers. Now, Charlie McCullister, he is going to be a a featured monthly commentator here on the podcast. But Charlie is a local historian, a student of labor history. He's written reams on the subject, including books, you know, one of the founders of the organization as well. And just this past summer, as part of these new initiatives with the Battle of Homestead Foundation, Charlie's Monday Markers is talking about local history. And Larry, I know you've seen his episodes. I think you're up to eight, close thereabouts. Is that right? Correct. And basically what he does is uh, he and Howard Scott, in 2016, published a book with the Allegheny County Labor Council and Battle of Homestead called Labor History Sites in the Pittsburgh Region. So all those blue state of Pennsylvania, dark blue historical markers you see around town, they have incredible stories. And so Charlie's Monday Marker basically takes you on a tour. He picks a marker and talks all about the uh, history that really was behind it. And eventually you actually can, of course, walk around town and find the uh, marker and then know a little bit more about what actually happened there. So that's the idea. They're all 10 minute videos. They're really sharp and articulate and fun. And really it's, it's just like having a great tour guide right there with you. Absolutely. Just fascinating history. And we should say you can check that out on the YouTube channel from the Battle of Homestead Foundation. Before we get to the, the closing music here with Larry, I just want to also mention you can find this podcast at EssentialWorkPodcast.org, as well as all the m- most popular podcast uh, platforms out there. Also, like just a couple uh, thanks out to the program committee for the Battle of Homestead Foundation for all their help. Our logo uh, was created by Brittany Sheets. You can see more of her work at B Sheets Creative, B the letter B, sheetscreative.com. And our theme, uh, we are fortunate to have Jason Kendall 
has composed that just for this program. You can check out more of his music and all that he's up to at Jason Kendall Productions. That's Kendall, K-E-N-D-A-L-L, productions.com. All those links in the program description, check them out. You can find it all at the Essential Work podcast page. So with all that, uh, Larry, let us know about the song that you selected for us to go out on here for this episode. Well, one of the early sources for labor songs in our culture really started out in the Industrial Revolution that came to Europe in the 1700s and gathered up hundreds of thousands of men, women, and children from the countryside into mines and factories. It was an entirely new system of labor, completely transformed not just the work processes of modern societies, but really how modern people would exist in every aspect of their individual and social lives, even up into our time today. So we're going to listen to a a bit of a song from England that was composed around 1800. It's called Four Loom Weaver, and it was released on a 1976 album from Chrysalis Records titled Silly Sisters. This song tells the story of a recently laid-off factory weaver who will likely starve to death because he voiced his opinion on work conditions to his employer. It is sung here by Maddie Pryor and June Tabor, who are the Silly Sisters, in a traditional English harmony style of the early 1800s. Of course, when this song, Four Loom Weaver, was circulated 200 years ago, uh, it would have been performed by ordinary people in ordinary places, taverns, street corners, markets, fairs, and then possibly published and sold as individual song sheets called broadsides. For most of these early labor songs, we've lost knowledge of who specifically wrote them. With a song like Four Loom Weaver, we don't know if an actual weaver might have been the author, or perhaps uh, a social reformer of the time who wanted to make a statement about the factory process and the future of those jobs in that world. But it's a powerful song and a powerful first-person voice, And it still speaks to us two centuries later about our own essential workers who make literally the clothes we wear. Uh, There's lots more information about this song and other labor music on EssentialWorkPodcast.com. And here is Four Loom Weaver. I'm a Four Loom Weaver Twenty twenty one has been a year of transition for all of us. At the Battle of Homestead Foundation, they have discovered new ways to advance their mission of heritage, education, and social action. They expanded their educational outreach to include a weekly online tour of people's history locations through the Charlie's Monday Marker video series, as well as far-reaching discussion of social and economic trends with the podcast Essential Work, the past, present, and future of jobs. They presented seven timely online public panels featuring nationally known authors and historians. Topics included 
workforce shifts from heavy industry to healthcare, the women's suffrage movement, uprooted immigrant neighborhoods, protest songs in today's civil action movements, the 1921 Battle of Blair Mountain, historical roots of today's social philanthropy, and Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania's world-famous City Steps. They establish a professionally archived labor history collection, thousands of documents, photos, recordings, and remembrances of labor history spanning decades. They co-sponsored the Blair Mountain Centennial in West Virginia, honoring a long-neglected part of U.S. history with a landmark Labor Day weekend of events. They built a new and more accessible website, which you should check out at battleofhomestead.org. They did all this with help, the essential support of all the individuals like you who enjoyed the programming, appreciate the hard work of the citizens, workers, educators, and historians that make it happen, and value their mission to preserve, interpret, and promote a people's history focused on the significance of the dramatic labor conflict at Homestead, Pennsylvania in 1892. In 2022, they'll present a new round of thought-provoking programming. Membership, along with special donations, is essential to their success. Annual membership is only $30, $20 for retirees or the underemployed, and just $10 for students. Join now at battleofhomestead.org. You can also choose to contribute at any of a number of special donor levels, and donations are tax-deductible. Membership also provides multiple free admissions to a variety of historical museums and sites in the greater Pittsburgh area. Check out the details at battleofhomestead.org. As this singular year comes to a close, while we still may have much to be thankful for, we also all see the urgent necessity of doing more to share our progressive labor history to a wider audience and inspire a new generation of activists and organizers. Your membership and engagement ensures that the Battle of Homestead Foundation will continue to do just that. Show your support today at battleofhomestead.org. In solidarity, BHF thanks you and wishes you good health, positive spirits, and both peaceful and joyous days ahead.